there is a bit of a premise here that your starting out point is more or less perfect security. Therefore, you're talking about weakening something. But if that premise is not true, that there isn't perfect encryption, then you start to have a slightly different conversation about just how much more insecure uh, are, are we talking about here? Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School Policy Cast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes or elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org or follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast. Today, we're joined by Michael Solmeyer, who recently left the Department of Defense to join the Kennedy School's Belfer Center as director of the newly minted Cybersecurity Project. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Cybersecurity has been in the news lately because of this legal battle between the FBI and Apple. What do you make of, of this whole situation? Uh, thank you, you know, for the opportunity to come and talk to you, talk to the audience. It's great uh, now that we have the cybersecurity project up and running to do these kinds of things. Uh, the Apple FBI case raises a lot of issues that have actually been going on in the in the background, issues of debate between the tech and government and privacy communities for a long time. Uh, they've come to the fore in a pretty dramatic way in this particular case. I think for me, the at least one really important aspect of this is that we've conflated a bunch of different activities under the label of a backdoor. Mm -hmm. And for those who are opposed to a certain set of actions, they say, oh, the other guy's asking for a backdoor. And for other communities, uh, say, oh, no, we're actually just uh, trying to find one particular front door. There's a obsession with doors, evidently. But I would you know, encourage uh, the audience and, and scholars who want to dig into this more, read about and discuss uh, amongst uh, yourself and colleagues, you know, the clipper chip debates from the, the first crypto wars in the 90s. We've dealt with these kinds of issues before. There was Can a, you explain you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, about that, and there's another uh, particular compromise that uh, Juniper Networks recently went public about their own uh, network. And then you can compare and contrast those to uh, what, what you see today and come to your own judgments and conclusions. But, but briefly, you know, there was a, an effort uh, under consideration and discussion in the 90s about how the government would assert itself and its ability to collect information in electronics, and maybe even coming down to the idea of a, a particular chip being included in all sorts of products to ensure that the government had something like a systemic access or systemic backdoor mm -hmm. to all sorts of products and all sorts of technologies. Uh, so that that's one source of uh, historical work that's already been worked on through the policy process and through a, a not quite as public debate as what's happening now. Uh, but uh, even just a couple months ago, Juniper Networks announced that some of their own source code had been compromised and that what apparently had been some form of illicit or access had been changed and reconfigured. So a different actor now had a backdoor into all of its products. Mm -hmm. You can read more about that as well from Juniper and others. And, and then you've got this Apple FBI case. So the main point I'm trying to make is that uh, a lot of these issues have been playing out for quite a while. This is the most recent manifestation, very dramatic, but uh, there's a lot of history here mm -hmm. about how we balance our interests and our values, both ideas, interests, and values that the FBI wants and that Apple wants. Mm -hmm. So working to address both of those 
uh, I think helps us make better policy. One of the things uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook has been doing has been calling on Congress to act because there is so little um, legislation specifically referring to this. I think uh, one of the things that Apple and its compatriots, there are a lot of tech companies that are on Apple's side in this, uh, including Google and others. Um, one thing that they're trying to say is that if you create an, an encryption that has a backdoor of some kind, some way of accessing it, um, then that leaves everyone vulnerable. Even if you were to create a back, some kind of software that would get into this one phone in San Bernardino, um, that would effectively make all phones compromised. Is, can you explain the concept of the backdoor? Obviously, it can mean many different things. Can you explain uh, the logic behind that? In, in some sense, uh, and in a very large sense, it is true that the more any one party decides to weaken security measures for any goal or for any objective, really, it, it does increase the risks for everyone. But there is a bit of a premise here that your starting out point is more or less perfect security. And th therefore, you're talking about weakening something. But if that premise is not true, let's stipulate for a second that software has a lot of vulnerabilities, that there isn't perfect encryption. Mm -hmm. Well, then, then you start to have a slightly different conversation about just how much uh, more insecure, to use a sort of really tortured grammar and triple negative, uh, are, are we talking about here? And that's something that I fear is getting a little bit lost in the debate. A lot of, of software that is commercially available, off the shelf, it has bugs. Mm -hmm. It has vulnerabilities. Some of those vulnerabilities can be exploited, but there is a series of statistics out there that seem to indicate that something like 70% of hacks or, or exploits occur through exploiting known vulnerabilities. Those vulnerabilities that we all know about. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a 10-foot tall hacker to magically create this hack and achieve unauthorized access. Mm. The same techniques that worked 15 years ago often still work today. And that vulnerability is the, cul is the main culprit to the vast majority of cybersecurity problems we have today. Mm -hmm. It's not that encryption is, is perfect and oh, if we weaken that standard, then everything is gonna break loose. We have a huge set of vulnerabilities across the nation, critical infrastructure, all of this. And, and so I just don't wanna get l lost in the fact that this one issue about FBI and Apple and what to do about this particular phone. This is one important issue, but it is just one issue mm -hmm. amongst a, a much broader series of questions and responsibilities we have to work through. Right. Uh, some of the response to this has been about the government's capacity or capability to actually um, get into this particular phone. Uh, some are worried about the fact that the FBI doesn't have the kind of manpower or the kind of uh, staff capable of cracking into this phone, given that, as you say, there is probably some way to get into it otherwise. Others have said that, uh, I think Edward Snowden actually uh, came out and said, oh, well, they absolutely have the technology to get into the phone already. Um, there's some level of, I guess, secrecy or uh, uh, unknown about what the government can and can't do right now. Between those two ends, 
what what has your experience been? Where do you think the government is in terms of ability to provide some kind of cyber defense um, while still preserving privacy? Uh, I think that most observers would be shocked to to learn about in painstaking detail uh, the kinds of processes that are in place to to try to protect people's privacy. Um, I I don't think anybody could argue with a straight face that it's perfect. I don't I, that would not be wise wise to do. But I do think it is worth stressing that it's not that it's not at all the case that government agencies are dismissive you know, at, a, at a conceptual level of, of the need to respect the the rules and regulations and laws that have been laid out to protect uh, American persons' privacy, that is, American citizens abroad and American citizens here and others who are here in the United States. Um, in general, I find I'm I'm pretty comforted by uh, U.S. capabilities, and that that's a good thing. And and I also don't think there's a real need to explain too much at a broad level. Uh, and in, in a whole lot of detail about what those are and, and what those can be, I would just dissuade people from trying to read too much into any one episode, like this current Apple FBI case, about what it means for a much broader set of questions about capability. Mm -hmm. uh, that broader set of questions about capability, if not represented effectively by this particular case, um, Obviously, you mentioned before, we have a lot of vulnerabilities that uh, could be exploited by either, you know, hackers, indiv individuals, or um, other states. We have been developing the capability to resist cyber attacks. Could you uh, describe what it is that we're doing right now that keeps us safe from these kinds of attacks? So I will... I'll assume by we, you mean as a national government yes. level, mm -hmm. but uh, also worth noting that, you know, Harvard as a we, of course, the universities mm -hmm. are also uh, subject to a lot of tr intrusions and businesses are subject to a lot of intrusions. I and mean, we must have a, a ton of graduates out there from the school who would be able to tell war stories of uh, downed routers and other such things, which admittedly may not be as dramatic as other kinds of war stories, but if you're in the middle of it, it sure feels that way. But at a national level, um, of course, people sort of tend to look first at the, the military and the national security apparatus. And that, you know, you tend to say there's a lot of news around Cyber Command, which is a new, relatively new uh, military command started several years ago. That's primary mission, the first mission that the Secretary of Defense always starts with is to defend military networks, but defend. Mm -hmm. Not offense, but defense. And that's because you have to have confidence and some sense of uh, readiness that you can uh, fulfill your other missions, which now rely a lot on IT and cybersecurity and all these, the digital infrastructure, which we've become so reliant on. Mm -hmm. uh, for the military, the first step is it has to make sure it can defend the country in, in all areas of, of potential conflict. And cybersecurity is a, a crucial ability uh, to make sure those missions can be accomplished. There's also the missions to defend the nation from an attack of significant consequence. Uh, there's also the mission to make sure our military commanders can use cyber capabilities in the event of a conflict. Uh, 
But the FBI has also grown a tremendous capability to pursue its law enforcement mandates and investigations. Very sophisticated uh, force of agents and other staff. Homeland Security has made big investments and trying to be the focal point in a relationship with critical infrastructure operators and owners to work with the government. Mm -hmm. So a lot of different components of our national government have stepped up and are trying very hard to improve our overall defense posture and reduce these vulnerabilities. And is this being done in a consolidated manner? I mean, are these agencies speaking to each other in a manner that uh, is producing kind of a, a, a better result than if they were working individually? It probably would not surprise anyone to learn that uh, sometimes the interagency process, or the, the process through which our government agencies negotiate and work out policy, eh, sometimes this does not go as smoothly as everyone would like. But I think more often than not, and especially recently, uh, the process has been uh, streamlined and become much more effective and much more agile to be responsive to intrusions, and I like to, to focus on words like intrusions or unauthorized access as opposed to attack, because I think when you use the word attack in a generic sense, you risk over-hyping what may very well be a run-of-the-mill type of activity, like a, like a port scan or a brief denial of service type of interruption. Uh, those can be very consequential in some very particular situations, but in general, I think our government's actually gotten a lot better, a lot more well-organized, and uh, there's a pretty good process in place to make sure the folks who need to be at the table can get to the table very quickly, and then you just come to the same challenges that every element in policymaking. Forget cybersecurity, but mm -hmm. when you're trying to make complex national security decisions, it's just hard. Right. It's just really hard these days mm -hmm. with with Russia uh, being more active in uh, in Ukraine and Crimea with China and their activity in uh, uh, asserting claims to certain islands in, in that area. Uh, the world's a complicated, complicated place. And sometimes it is hard to get attention around, hey, we need a 10-year investment in thinking about reducing vulnerabilities in commercial software. Mm -hmm. And that... You know, compared to ISIS, that's tough to get on the agenda. But I've been very impressed, I think, that our, our leaders are making time mm -hmm. to work through these issues. In traditional military conflict, you obviously think of defense as protecting uh, military assets and protecting the homeland uh, during a time of war. In cyber in cybersecurity, whether you call it an attack or an intrusion or something that's maybe or perhaps more benign, cyber threats exist outside the context of war, uh, and they exist uh, often in uh, attacking commercial uh, uh, subjects rather than military or, or state apparatuses. Apparati? I don't know. <laughs> um, how does the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, how are you able to work with uh, uh, private industry to improve our defense against those kinds of intrusions? I think, I think you'll find that over the next several years, there's going to be a lot more attention to making sure uh, that 
all the elements of federal um, power in this space are, are providing and being helpful to private sector either victims or potential victims. The FBI, DHS, they try very hard to try to get in front of problems, to provide, if they can, a little tip-off ahead of time. But reality is that um, the way our system is set up, at least, most privately owned networks and systems, critical infrastructure systems that run uh, power or dams or other sorts of things, the government can't just assert a claim to show up mm-hmm. and demand to have access to that network and then scan it and, and look for traffic. Um, private citizens and private organizations own these networks. Uh, we have a, a tradition in this country of not always being the most welcoming of all any and all law enforcement inquiries. That's why we've got to have a warrant mm-hmm. to do searches. So there's a balance that continues to be struck here. And, mm-hmm. and I think for government, it really has to double down on building these kinds of relationships with operators and owners of private networks that are likely to be targeted or have been targeted in the past and are likely to be targeted again. Mm-hmm. Because the only way you get that invitation to come onto the network or come into the corporate environment and see what's going on is if they trust you. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, trust is not something that you can break down a door. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually think that our government uh, does the door breaking down activities like this right now. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. paint a picture where there's a heavy handedness. I'm just saying as an area of future investment, sometimes you don't need to spend your way out of this problem. Sometimes you also need to take the time, make the time to build these relationships one-on-one so that uh, you people know who to call in a crisis or ahead of a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, that's uh, that's happening, mm-hmm. and and I see that a lot. But there's a lot more work that that can be done. I suppose that kind of brings us back to the case with Apple and the FBI, in which Apple has created uh, you know a very tough layer of security. They the phones are encrypted, and you need to put in a passcode to access that information. Uh, the government is asking them to create software to get around this encryption, um, which would necessarily make it a little weaker, even if it probably has other holes. If the government can't force companies to protect themselves, uh, and companies are really self-reliant in that they have to build the, the capability to protect them and their customers against any kind of intrusion or attack. Or buy it. Right. Not just build it. But right. There's a lot of independent private sector products out there sure. that companies can buy. But it's tough to know what to buy. Mm-hmm. It's tough to know what uh, you want to buy together and layer types of defense. It's not an easy sure. proposition. But but doesn't this suggest that uh, the government wants a b- deeper role in a- a- deciding what that layer of security is at you know this case it's with apple um but really couldn't that be applied to any private business i think the only thing i'm i can say from just a personal set of you know limited set of personal experiences is that most people in government um you you can't help but be impressed by the spirit of innovation that has catalyzed so much of our economy coming out of places like Apple and, and other types of things. It's, it's awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a certain point, 
new technologies, whether it's the automobile or refrigerator, whatever it is, uh, at a certain point, technology integrates itself into society in a way that implicates broader safety. And I think that what we're beginning to see are the, um, the first efforts at grappling with how the government is going to be able to fulfill its responsibilities that, that our, our system of laws uh, lay out, that government is there at a certain point to backstop the protection of the people. I'm not saying in this particular case of Apple, FBI, you mm -hmm. know, if that is really so on point or not. But we should expect, though, that our government will be looking at, at ways in the future to ensure that it can still do its job, which at a, at a certain level, we all want government to make sure that it can protect us. Mm -hmm. And the, the trick just becomes how mm -hmm. in these areas where uh, growth and the sophistication of technology, of uh, ever-expanding types of encryption, and as encryption becomes stronger and tougher to break, how is government to do this job? And this is not a fixed uh, answer. Mm -hmm. It'll change and it'll evolve over time. One of the things that uh, current Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter has uh, pursued is uh, deeper integration of the Department of Defense with Silicon Valley. Um, can you speak a, about that and what that might mean for our future capabilities? Sure. That's a, a great initiative. The Defense Innovation Unit Experimental, I think, is D-I-U-X. you got to have an acronym if you're, if you're doing it for the Defense Department. And I think it reflects a couple things. First, uh, a respect for the history of where so many of these great technologies have come from. Secondly, a respect for the fact that we do not have an arsenal system of armaments in this country. We work with private sector companies. The United States government works with private sector companies, has worked with companies like Lockheed and Boeing to protect the nation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have to think about those relationships in a slightly more expansive way than the standard defense industrial base. And, and I think, you know, I, I would say it also reflects the uh, more personal and, and types of experience that this particular secretary has had in his interest in technology, his commitment to understanding it and incorporating it to make the military stronger and better and able to uh, defend the country. Mm -hmm. uh, my hope is that they look also at Boston, and, and I suspect they, they will as another home, another area for outreach so that uh, the great startup communities here, biotech and others, are able to understand what the Defense Department is trying to prioritize, and so the Defense Department can learn about the kind of innovative work going on in this area. Mm -hmm. Well, Michael Solmeyer is director of the Belfer Center's Cybersecurity Project. You can read more about it at the Center's website, it's up, right? I hope so. <laughs> Today it is. Uh, may not be tomorrow. <laughs> well, if somebody hacks it. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. HKS PolicyCast is produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Special thanks also to Catherine Serafin at Harvard for helping us get out there every week. And to you for listening in. See you next week. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. You can subscribe to PolicyCast on iTunes, Stitcher, and elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org. And let us know what you think on Twitter, at PolicyCast. Mm -hmm.